Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. So the message today is something that has been in my heart and in my spirit for for a while, uh, and it really seemed to fit with where we're headed with our Wednesday nights. And so um, as it's been marinating, I think it'll really apply as we talk about. You can go ahead and throw up my my title slide. What I'm going to talk about today is where you lead, I will follow. Let me see if my neighbor has texted me back. This is her photo, and it is... Tagart Lake. It is um, near the Grand Teton. She went there this summer. Uh, Kayla Corum, she lives right across the street from me, and she is an avid photographer. That's why she drove endless hours um, to Yosemite and Yellowstone and all of that and, and the Grand Tetons. And this was some of my favorite photos that she took. Um, she had some other ones where she, I, I used them at first, but she was in a bikini with her back to us. And I decided not to use those. I did pull them in originally. I was like, no, I can't crop enough of her out. It just didn't look right. So this is the one we get and it's beautiful. <laughs> and so I think about where God leads us in our life. And I think about the mountains and the valleys alike. Not only is this picture alone just very soothing and majestic, like I just, I could look at it literally all day, hopefully with my actual eyes, not on a, on a screen. But where you lead me, Lord, I will follow. And sometimes, sometimes there are streams of living water and sometimes it seems like a desert, to be honest. It seems like the dark night of our soul is, is some of uh, the historians would call it of when we're walking through life and it seems like God is so far. But I want to talk about a little bit of where you lead me, I will follow. How do we know when God is speaking to us? How do we hear his voice? How do we know it's him? And what do we do about it? And so this morning, I want to talk about where you lead, I will follow. Would you pray with me? Father, I just surrender myself to you in this moment. I ask that you would use the words that I say. God, that you would bring the message of life and hope to us as we seek to know you, to encounter you in a deeper and more meaningful way, as we do this in community together, as we live out the life that you have given us to its fullest, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we came in uh, with some things that are probably heavy on our hearts, with some issues and situations and circumstances that are just messed up, but God, we know that you're, you're a redeemer of all things. You can make all things new. You're in the business of transformation of new life. And so, Lord, we come to you, and I ask that in this, in this time, you would do just that. You would bring new life. And where you lead us, Lord, we will follow. You are faithful. You are good. You are God. Amen and amen. So when I think about God's communication with us, I think about how he came down in the cool of the day, and he would visit with Adam. And really that scripture is not recorded until after Adam and Eve had sinned. I have a feeling it was already habit that God would come in and would fellowship with them. But we specifically are given that idea after, after the fall. And so God wasn't afraid of, of Adam and all his muck and mire. He wasn't afraid of Eve and in their shame and in their guilt, which sometimes, honestly, that's when I tend to draw back. But the Lord would converse with Adam right there in the garden. Now think about how God communicated with Noah enough that he would know that he had to build a boat. Never seen a raindrop in his life, but there's going to be a flood. And there was enough for Noah to believe that the one speaking to him 
was definitely not just disillusioning him with some sort of idea of something that he never would need in life, but that he needed to do this and he needed to be earnest that he would spend years of his life building something that would ultimately save him and his family and point to what salvation looks like in Jesus. I think about how God would speak to, to Moses through a, literally a shrub on fire. And I know that we had some great fires a couple of years ago in, in Gatlinburg, but it wasn't the same. This was God and this was God speaking through it. It was something that was not being consumed and it was holy. And Moses didn't know the great I am. He didn't know the one that was appearing to him in, in the moment, but the Lord was speaking to him and that he couldn't deny. And I think about a promise made to a man named Abram to have a son. He was pretty old. He was up in years and he didn't already have four kids and now the fifth. You know, it wasn't the same situation. He wasn't, it wasn't Abram Biddle. And so maybe that's his name. Maybe that's the fifth. You, you already will have many nations. But Abram received a promise and he was told to go somewhere that he had never been before who I believe was one of the first missionaries. Get up and go to a land that I will show you. A great promise. You will inherit. And Paul, he's on his way to Damascus to continue to persecute Christians. And yet the very one that he is persecuting awakens him, strikes him off his donkey and blinds him and speaks to him as clear as day. But does God still speak to us today? And if so, how? And when? And where? And, and how do we know? And I could give you a lot of, I could give you a ton of points and subpoints, but Pastor James is texting right now, so I won't do that. <laughs> Keep taking notes. I'm not going to give you any points, though, because they'll come up and play the piano whenever they want to, anyways. That's not even in my notes. For those that weren't here, I, the last time I got to preach, I got to point two of four, and he just came up, started closing me out. Not today, folks, not today. I jest. But we could talk about general ways that God speaks to us. And after I had finished writing my sermon, let me say it, after I Googled what I was talking about, after I had written what I was saying, I was like, well, let's just see how close I am to like orthodoxy. Let's just make sure I'm, you know, not getting too crazy with what I'm about to talk about today. But there were, most of it was all general. It was, you know, God speaks to us through his word and through Jesus and through nature and God's creation, like Romans 120 would tell us, and through other believers and music and circumstances and his spirit and prayer. You know, the general ways that God speaks to us. And I was like, mm, yeah, okay, those are all true. But what I really want to talk about is the sense that we have when the Lord is leading us and guiding us in our life overall. What is the rhythm and the theme and the heartbeat of what moves us as we ebb and flow that when, when we're kind of down and out and we've made some decisions that we wish we hadn't, that God somehow is still in control and he can redeem even those mistakes? And then what is the rhythm that we can still be in sync with when we feel like, man, God's opening up doors and, and I'm moving into a new season and it's exciting and we feel like the Lord is leading us in those moments as well. What is that overarching sense that we can have from the God that we serve that he's in control? And if you know me even just a little bit, you know that I care about words, that words matter to me. 
and I care about their meaning and I care about how they were formed. I love etymology. I love the formation of words, especially in, in scripture. And, and I believe that God uses words when transformations happen, when he's defining moments and seasons in our life. God uses words. Words were used to create from the very beginning everything that is. Words. And it was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. To me, words have so much power. And when we understand words and how God uses the seasons and names them for us that we're going through, we can understand that he's using these in the places and with the people that we're interacting with. And what do I mean? I mean, you know, the names of my kids are very intentional. Even the names of our pets, like we, we really try to like name even our pets, like, you know, with, with meaning. Uh, we have a cat that was born on Christmas day and we're like, what is it? What, what should we name this cat? It's not fluffy or foo-foo or if that's your cat's name, I'm sorry. But, but she was born on Christmas. So her name is Noel. No, the French word for Christmas, Noel blessing. And, um, that cat was given to us. And uh, we expected to pay hundreds of dollars for Noel. I'm so glad we didn't. She's a rascal. <laughs> but they ended up giving us that cat. And um, so, and there's other, there's other things like my, our, our children's names. We felt like the Lord had dropped those in our hearts. Uh, Eliana, May, and, and just the meaning behind God has heard and answered with our firstborn. And, and how Judah roads, you know, Judah being praised and, and roads the pathway to God's presence. And, and for us, it was so intentional. And Levi, Redding, and just understanding that, you know, he is joined, his name meaning joined to our family. And, and Redding redeemed all things, putting in order and making straight again. And so to me, words carry so much meaning. It's not just something I talk about. It is something that I, I, the Lord has always spoken to me through. And I believe they're so valuable to us. And if you named your kids by getting on the internet and looking up the top 25, that's fine. I'm not criticizing you, all right? That's okay. Or if you were like, I'm Scottish and I want to get back to my heritage and, you know, you went up to a Celtic store in Gatlinburg or whatever, you know, that's fine. But to me, words matter. Is that what you're going to do, Pastor James? Going up to that store? <laughs> and I want to talk to us of how the Lord overarchingly will lead us and guide us in our life. What is it that we need to know about who this is that is leading us? I want us to read together Exodus 33. If you brought a paper Bible and you're really saved, uh, you can open up Exodus 33. If you have an electronic one and you're partially saved, I actually brought a paper one just for looks because I've got it all printed out. I knew you all would wonder. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Uh, that's what I've been reading in my devotions for this year. And I'm going to be reading quite a bit of this, uh, this passage. So Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. <laughs> like I already sense like Moses is like, uh-uh, I didn't bring them up. You told me to take these people, and now you're saying they're mine? Uh-uh. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, all of your enemies, the Cellulites, the Mosquito Bites. <laughs> they're all in there. Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. We're almost out of Cellulite season. It's about to get cold. So going up to the land, verse 3, flowing with milk and honey. He says, but I will go with you. 
I will not go with you. I'm sorry, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So I can already imagine (laughs) the paradox in Moses' mind. He's like, wait a minute. You told me to lead these people out of here. I didn't even want to go talk to Pharaoh. Do you remember that whole conversation, God? You remember that? Like, who am I? Who are you going to send with me? What do you want me to use? And, and you gave me a stick and my brother went and all this stuff. And he's like, now you're saying these are the people I brought out of Egypt? No, no, no. These are not. I like the part about the angel and the enemies and the land and milk and honey. But what do you mean you're not going with us? What do you, you, mean, you mean I'm going to have your blessings but not you? Because there's a difference. And Moses is like, wait. And even the people, when they heard this in verse 4, said, these are distressing words. They began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. No one would, would get ready for the day and decorate themselves for life. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. And if I go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. So take off all your ornaments Stop playing the games and I'll decide what to do with you. And so the Israelites stripped off the ornaments at Mount Horeb. And now Moses used used to take a tent and pinch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to that tent. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he had entered. And there was a pillar of cloud that would come and stay at the entrance And while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tents. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak with a friend. And Moses would leave and come back to camp. But Joshua, son of Nun, kind of Moses' predecessor, his his sidekick, he would hang out a little bit longer in God's presence. He would linger. And I think about this whole transaction of what happened. You see, as God had been leading them, there would be a cloud by day and a fire by night. And I think sometimes in our minds, we get it stuck that it's got to be so distinguished for God to lead us in every little thing that it's got to be the cloud by day. It's got to be the fire by night. Lord, am I supposed to go to UT? Should I stay at Bryan College? I mean, my girlfriend goes to UT. But things like that, we, we pray about every little detail. What should I put on today? You know, my Chaco smelled bad, so I had to wear my Keens, you know. I mean, God answered that one pretty clearly. I couldn't wear my Chacos. And so we, we do. We, we may, as I, as I joke, we, we, Lord, would you, would you clearly direct us on what you're doing? And Moses says, listen, God, if you're not going with us, I'm not going. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you're going to send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're really pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So it kind of puts it back on God saying, these are yours. We're not abandoning them together. You're not leaving me. And the Lord replied in verse 14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says in verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not even send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? This is so crucial that we understand how God leads us. Do you realize that Moses actually pinpoints, this is the difference in every other faith 
every other people who walk this earth and those who are born again, who are children of the most high. As a son and a daughter, we have not only the privilege, but the right to be led by him, to have his presence in our life, to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit that he not only desires to have with us, but he has put that desire on the inside of each one of us. This is what distinguishes you from your coworker who doesn't know Jesus from Adam. And we have the ability to be carriers of the light and the glory of God that they would want, be jealous for what we have, the communion that we have with God and the Holy Spirit. And in verse 19, I know this is a long passage and then I've got a lot of fun stuff to share just for you, Crystal. Crystal thinks I'm really funny when I talk. And so I asked her, actually I didn't, but I'm so glad you're sitting close because I need someone that will encourage my jokes because Pastor James doesn't laugh at him. Rick's over here texting him back and forth. Can you believe Michael's background? Like Rick's probably talking about my slides already. He's like, I could, I can make better graphics than that. Go to the Grand Teton, sir, and shoot. All right. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with that. Nowhere. I'm not going to lunch, that's for sure. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord Yahweh in your presence. And he begins to talk about who he is. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'm just, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Instead, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to cover you. This is part of the work of Christ covering us in atonement. And then as I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but not my face. And I love, I love what, what Moses is doing here as he interacts and is very transparent and frank with God. How I many of you know God is not afraid of our questions? He is not afraid with our honest dialogue. He instead, when he came in the flesh, minimized our religiosity. He said, take off your mask, you whitewashed tombs. You've got it all backwards. Your father in heaven already knows what you need before you come to him. Stop playing the games and just be real with a real father who loves you and is for you, not against you. And I think in order for us to know when God is leading us and speaking to us, we've got to know who are we following? Who is this, this guy, Jesus? Who is this God? And when we talk about following anyone, we've got to know who they are. Who are they? This last weekend, my wife and I were in a foster conference in Murfreesboro. We got all of our training for the entire year in one weekend. That's the reason we do it. But their keynote speaker, uh, his name was Kevin McNeil. He is a retired detective out of DeKalb County, Atlanta, Georgia. And he was a special victims unit detective, SVU. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I wanted to play the music too when he got up there. But Kevin, he began to tell a story about a, a victim and he began to talk about how this young boy had been bullied all his life. He'd been picked on. He was small. He was short and, and just kind of scrawny. And, and finally, as, as this young boy got older, he began to decide, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start defending myself. And he started saying, I'm, I'm going to work out. I'm going to start lifting weights. 
And his mama didn't really want him doing some of these things. And so he befriended a, a boy who had some weights. And this boy would go over to this other boy's house and, and lift weights after school. About 11, 12 years old. And this boy knew that his mama always told him that you've got to be home before dark. You've got to be home before dark. Before that sun goes down, you've got to be home. You're not allowed to be out after dark. But there was one particular day, this, this one boy, he was 12 at this time. He had been lifting weights and sweaty, nasty, and him and his, his buddy had lost track of time. And he looked out of the garage and the sun was just beginning to crest the horizon and about to set. And so he, he looked and he said, I've got to take off. And he left and he started running. And on his way, this boy, this 12-year-old boy decided, I better take a shortcut. I've got to get home fast. And instead of going his normal route on certain roads, he decided, I'll go across this railroad track and buy the high school football field. And, and I can get home quicker and it, I won't be near as late. And the boy, as he crosses these railroad tracks, he hears something rustling out of the brush in the woods. And there's a man that comes out and startles them both. And the man says, to this 12-year-old boy, hey, come with me. There are some weights, the high school football field. He said, if you'll help me get them out of there, I'll give you some. Almost like he knew exactly what to say to this 12-year-old boy who had been bullied all his life and was trying to defend himself. And so we went there and they're under the bleachers and he says, I think they're down under here. And the man says to the 12-year-old boy, he says, I think they're down under here and shines a flashlight and they start going down and there was nothing there. And the man ran a little bit further down and said, no, 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 I think they're down here. And the boy ran down there and flashlight shone again and there was nothing under there. And the boy began to kind of back up slowly, wondering, what am I doing under these bleachers with this grown man? I don't know. And the man turned to him and just started beating him and hitting him in the face and shaking him against the ground. And the boy, as a 12-year-old boy, began to fear for his life and he screamed as loud as he could, but there was no one that could hear him. There was no one at that high school football field. There was no one near those railroad tracks. And he began to think, what is about to happen to me? And for the first time that that 12-year-old boy was ever embraced by a man, it was in a way that was less desirable than any of us would ever want. That man took advantage of that boy, humiliated him, continued to pound him within inches of his life with his hands around his throat and head against that concrete. That boy began to think about the shame that would come on his mom and his other brothers and sister if they found him underneath those bleachers, if that's where his body would lay. And he decided, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for my life. I've got to get out of here. And with everything that he had, his little 12-year-old body, he began to fight and hit and try to get away from this man. And Barely, barely within inches of his life was able to get out and began to run and ran across that football field. And there was really only one short snippet of woods that was between him and a highway. And he knew if he could get there, there would be plenty of people passing by. He'd be safe. And so this 12-year-old boy crossed into a median, huffing and puffing out of breath and looked back and that man was gone. There was no one, no one following him, no one chasing him. So he continued home and he was after dark. He knew his mom would be upset. His mom, as he was walking down the street limping, blood and mud and mixed and mingled on his clothes, eye beat up, blood dripping down from his face where he had been hit. His mom had a belt in one hand and her finger pointing in the other, about to accuse him for being late until he came into the light. And that 12-year-old boy, you could tell something had happened to him. His mom said, what happened? What happened, son? And he said, well, I was 
He was humiliated. He couldn't tell the truth. He didn't want to tell his mom what had really happened. He said, well, I was robbed. Some people robbed me. And well, the, the detective continued and, sa- and, and told us, he said, you know, normally we don't share the names of our, of our victims. We don't share the names of those that we have worked with, he said. But he said, most of us can't even imagine what it was like to go through what that 12-year-old boy went through. We can't imagine what it was like to go through that kind of trauma and torment and to have to carry that with the rest of your life, feeling like you couldn't tell anyone out of shame and guilt of maybe I did something, maybe it was me. me. He said, but I, I can because that, SVU detective was that little boy. That detective Kevin had grown up to put away people who did such heinous crimes because his mind, that was him. All those victims that he was trying to seek justice for, it was for him. It's for his life. He was trying to right all the wrongs that he had had to carry and to, to walk with. But I say that all to say we've got to know who we're following. Because when we don't know, and I... I talked to Christians and I was listening to a, a message from a, a gentleman who wrote a book on how do we hear God's voice? He said, for years as a, as a new believer, I came to the Lord and I would ask people, how do you know God's voice? Well, you just know. And he said, no, I don't actually. <laughs> I don't. He said, well, if you know, we're, we're his sheep and he's our shepherd and, and it says that we'll know his voice. He says, but, but I don't. I don't. I don't know the difference. And he said, no one was ever able to articulate to me that it's those aha moments and those thoughts that he'll use to speak into our life, to point us back to Christ and to keep us on the plan and purpose that he has for us. No one could ever say that to me. No one could say that he would just speak to me the way that I normally hear other thoughts and, and, and desires, and, and, but yet it points to him and it points to what he has for me and it, and it brings revelation and peace into my life. And he said, no one could ever articulate that for me. He said, because I want you to know though that we do have a God that speaks to us. We do have one that leads us, but we've got to know whom we are leading, who, uh, whom we are following and who we are being led by, or we may be misguided or we may be redirected or we may follow even the enemy or, or heresy into, into paths into places that we never want to find ourselves being self-destructive and, and confused. And you know, when, when I think about God and, and who he is and his compassion and his love and his mercy that leads us, that guides us, that speaks with us, that, that moves us from glory to glory, from place to place. Sometimes it doesn't always seem glorious. Sometimes it seems like we're at the bottom and it seems like it's dry. And sometimes it seems like we're on the mountaintop and things couldn't be better. But it's even in the valley of the shadow of death that he is with me. And I want to r- remind all of us that we're not the sum of all that we do. You are not the sum of everything that you have done in your life. I am not who I am as my role as an associate pastor. I am not who I am as my duties as a chaplain with the sheriff's department. I am not who I am as my responsibilities as a nonprofit leader in Knoxville. I am not who I am by the sum of all the things that I do. I am who I am first and foremost as a son of God. And I love how the Lord would direct our worship this morning and what he was saying and what he was speaking to, to each one in the team and, and through the, the songs that were just put together. Because we're sons and we are daughters first and foremost. When we know who we are following and who is leading us, we then can understand who we are. But if I'm confused that, that God is maybe this cop in the sky waiting to catch me in something I've done or to shame us 
or to bring ridicule or to, well, I don't know if I can, if he's really going to provide for me. I, I just don't know. If that's the God that we're leading, then we, that, that we are following, then we will be confused in our own identity of who we are as sons and daughters and what is rightfully yours. You see, because for my own children, they don't have to wonder where the next meal is coming from. They don't have to wonder if, uh, if, there's going, if they're going to be hit one minute and laughed with the next. They don't have to be uh, confused. And this is with imperfect parents. But when we have a Father in heaven that is always with us and never forsake us, we have to remember that our identity cannot get muddy in relating it to what we do, but who we are. And because I do things that I later regret and am ashamed of, if I give those things that I do the power to determine my identity, then I would never be motivated to draw closer to Christ. I would never have hope that transformation is possible. I would just understand that, well, I guess it starts and ends right here with me, but instead it starts and ends with the one who has called us because he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in each and every one of us. What Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6 is so beautiful. Jared, it's not in there. That he is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. I don't know what you're going through right now, how deep and how dark it is, but you need to hear that he is faithful. He is faithful. Did he bring these circumstances in this situation, this illness, these, these demons that I'm facing to your life? No, but he is faithful. He is with us and he can make all things new and he redeems and he is faithful. He started it, he will finish it, and he is everything in between. He is faithful. I love what Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 1 about transformation. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here's where I want to get, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a pattern in theology that is called no be do. And when we get these mixed up, we get them out of order. This is where our identity can really get, get wacky. You think about it because a lot of us think, well, if I do these things, then I will know that God loves me and I will be accepted and be the person he's called me to be. As soon as we, as soon as we kind of flip some of these and rearrange the order, because to me, it always has to stay this way that I know God. I know who he is. I know the one that is leading me. And from that revelation, then I can be what he has called me to be. I know that I am a son, a daughter. So it's knowing him, knowing the freedom that he brings to us, knowing his, his never-ending love for us, knowing his grace. Then I can be the one that he has called me, and I will naturally do the works that he has called me to do. But as soon as we flip these things out of order... That's where we open up doors for condemnation because it's no longer based on knowing and being, but it's based on doing. We get these out of whack and we have a hard time being secure because remember, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When we know him, when we have his presence with us, when we are walking with him, we live from a place of a little bit 
deeper breath. We can, we can rest a little bit. We can relax a little bit in our efforts and, and thinking that we're earning something that he has already done and accomplished for us. And we simply can live from a posture of rest. And what we do comes out of the empowerment of his grace, not trying to earn his favor. That's sonship. That is being a child of God. And so when I think about no be do, you can put up this next one. How do you like my little stick figure? This is my drawing skills right here. <laughs> so this guy went to the Grand Tetons this summer, and he discovered who God was. So we understand that what we know, what becomes revelation to us, affects our heart and who we are. And then it is from that that we can do. But as soon, again, as soon as we use those hands, those feet first, and we think that this is our leading, our leading role, then we get it all out of whack. If you guys want a copy of this, um, this art, I can probably email it to you. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for laughing. My nine-year-old. We must first know him, and then we will be like him, and we will do the things that we see our Father in heaven doing. So who am I? Now, because of the proper order and understanding how I relate to God, not simply responding to him with behavior modification, but a desire to know him because he desires to know me. And as I know him, I begin to understand who I am as a child of God. I'm not a hireling. I'm not a mistake. He's not simply a disciplinarian looking for me to mess up. He's not even managing me, micromanaging as I sometimes do myself after failure or even when looking towards dreams or the future. Instead, I understand that his presence is with me and I understand that there is rest in that. It's the promise that he gives to all of us, not just to Moses. And I think about the passage where Jesus is speaking to the crowd in Matthew 7 verse 9. He says, which of you, if you ask for bread, will give him a stone? Right? You go to your dad, you're asking for something to eat, you ask for fish, he gives you a snake. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven provide for you? Paul echoes the same thing. Would everybody just take a drink right now? Cheers. I got a whole coffee row right here. Thanks, guys. And Paul echoes the same idea in writing to the Romans in Romans 8. He says this, Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? These aren't just lyrics that we sing, God with us, God for us. Nothing can stand between us. This is the God of the universe that is on our side that is with us, that is fighting our battles for us. And when we can say, his presence is with me, okay? Even though I walk through this dark time, I know that he is with me. He leads me along strings of water of stillness and rest in my soul. Even when around me, I'm not sure where the next paycheck's gonna land. Am I gonna have enough for the bills? He is guiding, he is leading, he is in control, he is God. And the point is, I know my father in heaven and because I know him, I know what he is like, and I also knew who I am. And I know that when I come to, come to him, that he is for me, he's on my side. And I can understand that he is full of joy and love and comfort and that I am his child. He calls me friend. I hope that you're letting this sink in this morning. I hope that it is taking root. 
I hope that it will be seeds that flourish and grow and bear fruit because as we know God, then we can become like him and everything that he has created us to be. And then and only then can we begin to do the things that he has created us to do. So how does he lead me? Proverbs 16, 9. I love this verse. It's something that as I grew up, my mom really instilled this in us as kids. And I was the youngest, so I think I got her greatest wisdom. And so she said, she would always remind me that we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And this is where I think we look for that pillar of cloud by day and that fire by night to lead us through life. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? And I, I remember having conversations with my mom in high school and trying to figure out, well, what, I feel like God's calling me to do this and where should I go to school? And you apply some places and you're hoping that, you know, you really want, you want it to be real clear. You know, you want plans. At least I did. I wanted to be able to map it out. I wanted to know what was next and then what was after that. And then how could I, how could I help God? Come on. And, and so I really struggled when things would kind of like not be real clear, be kind of fuzzy. Be like, I think maybe this is the direction he's kind of pointing. I, I feel okay about it. And I think really the reason I wanted that is because if, I, if something went wrong, I could blame it on God. I wanted an out. So if it didn't go right, well, God, you told me. Kind of like what I do with our house that we live in. I'm like, Candy, you wanted this house. Now look what's happened. We got to dig up the septic again, you know, and this is the house you wanted. Same deal, like, right? And if I was leading her and I picked it, then she could do the opposite, but she wouldn't because she's Candy and she's sweet and all things wonderful. But then Michael, on the other hand. But I think that we sometimes do that when we approach how the Lord leads us. Like, God, will you just tell me, tell me, should I take this job or not? And sometimes the Lord's just like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, okay, what do you mean? I'm with you. That doesn't help, Lord. It's not clear. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that we want God to make those decisions for us where he allows us to make our plans, but he directs our paths. Do you get the difference? Sometimes he allows us to take some steps. And it may have been in the wrong direction, but he's not as hung up about that as we are. He's more hung up in the journey, and he wants to have relationship. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want to dictate to us what we have to do. He wants relationship. And so he keeps us coming back to him. He keeps us talking about, well, what do you think? Should we, should we open up our home right after we adopt? Or should we, well, I think our family needs a rest. I think we should wait till after the holidays. I think we should get through Christmas without lice for once. Like those are the conversations behind our closed doors. I don't know what yours are. And so you make those choices. You have relationship with the Lord. Well, God, what do you, th what, what do you, th well, what do you want? What do you want to do? Tyler, what do you, do you, do you want to go to UT? I mean, you've got the opportunity, but, but I'm from Arkansas, Lord. Yeah, I know. The opportunity is in Knoxville. I don't, I don't like orange. Okay. What do you want though? Well, I believe the Lord's called us. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. The Lord is with us. And when we, we move in that confidence that he is with us, we move in the confidence that he will also lead us and guide us, that he will direct our paths. And so we continually are in dialogue with him because he loves us and he's bent on having relationship with us. And so I hope now in our faith we can understand that, you know what, Lord, sometimes, yeah, you do give me the yes and you give me the no, but other times you just confirm that you're with me and you're going to lead me and guide me. And I can come back and you'll redeem things even when I mess up because that's who you are. You work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. 
you're a God that is totally different than I am. You can redeem things that I have squandered. You can restore to a brother who has spent all his wealth and you celebrate my return. And so I live in a confidence that he's with us. And I think about Dutch Sheets. Has anybody ever heard of Dutch Sheets? He, uh, he's famous for his writings on prayer and intercession. If you're ever curious about intercession, one of the books I've ever uh, read that was the greatest on intercession, it's called Intercessory Prayer by Dutch Sheets. Um, he was asked this. He was, he was asked, how can you tell when God is speaking to you or when it's just you? And he said, well, I don't always know. He said, sometimes it's me and sometimes it's God. He said, but it's always us. And that's the sense that I think we should have as we walk this journey and in process with the Lord that, yeah, sometimes God is leading us and sometimes maybe it's just us and it was good intentions and we, and we use the Bible as part of our you know, repertoire of moving forward, but, but sometimes it's just us and we walk together and we do life with the Lord. As Brother Lawrence would say, we, we have communion. We have communion with God. And I want to read Deuteronomy 31 is Joshua is getting ready to take, take the role of Moses of leading the Israelites into the land. Here is what he's reminded of in verse 5. He said, the Lord will deliver them to you, all these enemies, the Cellulites, the Jebusites, the Armorites, all those guys. And he said, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Obedience is, is key. He said, but be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't have a lot of points. I want to leave you with a sense of who God is. That it's not always this black and white. It's not always this yes and no. But it is that he is with you. That he is a God. That his presence will go with you. And he will give you rest. And he will direct your path. And there may be some bumps along the way. They're bound to happen. And there are some bruises that he'll bandage up. And he'll sit there with you while you heal. But he is with you. He is with you. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And I love how the author of Hebrews echoes the same thing in, in chapter 13. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. God's our provider. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And we say this with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere men do to me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want us to sing a song that we ended with. I asked them to do that last song, God With Us, uh, because I really felt like it was something the Lord had put in my heart. And as they're coming up, does the Lord speak audibly? I don't know. He might cause a verse of scripture to stick out. It may be to be repeated in your life time after time in a given week until you finally realize he's trying to talk with you. He may even speak to you through thoughts of revelation that are pointing you towards Christ and his will for your life. He may speak to you through a dream. He may speak to you through the believers in your life and in community, including those gathered in this room right here today. He may speak to you through the situations and circumstances you're going through because he is with you. And when he speaks to you, I can tell you will always align with his word and his will for your life. But as you go, know that it is God that is with you. It is God that is for you. He will lead. He will guide.
He will lead you. He will guide you. He is faithful. I'm going to ask that we all stand up together. We're going to sing this together. And I believe the Lord just wants to confirm with a, just a seal of his Holy Spirit on that he is with us, that his presence will go with you, that he is leading us, that he is guiding us. God with us. Let's sing this together. God with us. God is for us. Nothing can come against. No one can stand between us. God with us. God is for us. Nothing can come against. No one can stand but sing it again. God with us. God is for us. Nothing come against. No one can stand between us. As they continue to sing this, just close your eyes. Would you just receive this from the Lord? That the Lord wants to confirm that He is with you. He's never left you. He's not abandoned you. You're not an orphan. You are His child. He is with you. He is faithful. His love, he is lavishing upon you. And you're like, I don't feel it. It doesn't seem like it's happening in my life. He is with us. Even in that valley, he has not abandoned us. Let's sing this again. Receive from God his declaration. over your life.
Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you are with us, that your presence will lead us and guide us, and that you give us rest. We make every effort to enter your rest. Thank you, Jesus, for the work you have done that you have completed for us that our striving is not towards you, but it is from fellowship with you, Lord, that we see all things come to pass in our lives as a result of knowing who you are and that we are your children. Lord, we love you. We bask in your love today. And I just speak over, I speak over the shame and the guilt that is being carried around in this room, that it is broken off that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. We are seated in heavenly places. We are heirs to the throne. Jesus as the firstborn has handed over the keys. He's unlocking freedom right now. He's unlocking freedom in your soul. He's unlocking where there's been torment, there's peace again. Where there has been wonder, there has been questions, there has been fear. There's confirmation that the Lord's love is steadfast and never ending. Lord, right now, we just lay down our past and we realize it does not determine our future. It is not our identity. It is not who created and formed us and shaped us. But Lord, there are words right now that are being spoken, that are recreating, that are renaming things in our life that we felt like had been fence posts, that had been literally rooted in the ground of who we were right now. Those are being pulled up out of the ground of our souls. And you're bringing freedom and healing. There's new pathways of thinking that are being transformed in our mind. There's new emotions that have literally been tormenting us that are being replaced in Jesus' name. You are for us. You are with us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for how you are near to us. God, this week, be with your people. Be with us in our coming and in our going, that your face would shine upon us, that you would lead us and that you would guide us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. Amen and amen.